Artisan Church. How are we feeling tonight? You doing well? It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm so excited to be here. And this is a, a service that is special to me every single year that I get to be a part of one. And uh, it's what we know as Good Friday service. And something that I think is important to fully understand is this is not a somber affair. Well, it is a strictly holy affair. This is an important moment for us to take time out of our year and to pause and to truly reflect. I'm so grateful for those who read the scripture, the story that is the focal point of this evening, which is that Jesus uh, was turned over and he was given uh, to be put to death on a Roman cross. We know that he was beaten, he was crucified, and that he died on Golgotha, the place which means the skull, the story we just heard. And this is going to be a building uh, weekend that has the climax at the Easter Sunday morning. And I'm hoping that every single one of you is already planning to join us Easter Sunday. But I wanted to start off this message uh, by talking about why do we call it Good Friday? Uh, because just being honest with you, for a lot of years, if somebody were to ask, but why Good Friday? We're talking about the most horrific death that's really ever been created in the history of mankind. We're talking about a beating. We're talking about an innocent man dying. What's good about it? And sometimes our lazy Christian answer is, well, what he did was good, so it's a good Friday. Or, or it brought in good news, which isn't entirely wrong, but it doesn't paint the correct picture that we need going into the rest of this evening. And so one of the best places to start when trying to understand why something is called the way that it is, if you don't know, if you're new to any form of Christian tradition, uh, we actually can look back at history. Okay, what have the last couple thousands of years led to? And we understand that this meaning of Good Friday, that if you begin to do a word study, and most linguists and historians agree that the good of Good Friday is not merely just because of Jesus' sacrifice turned out to be good. It is, in fact, good because it comes from an antiquated meaning of good. The English good is actually derived from a traditional view of the word holy. A more apt name would be Holy Friday. Uh, the Romance languages call it Sacred Friday. In Russian, it's Passion Friday. From the German, we get Sorrowful Friday. In the English, we get Good Friday. And if you take these and you combine them, you start to paint a picture of holy. Holy Friday. Good, sacred, passion, a.k.a. passion we know means sacrifice, sorrow. We start to really paint this vibrant picture of a holy Friday. A time that is meant to be holy. A time that is meant to be sacred, to be set apart, to take in a moment of even allowing yourself to feel some grief. To actually feel with Jesus. To actually connect with the man of sorrows and the sacrifice that he did for us on the cross. And so even further defense of this, there are historical traditions practiced by Christians for centuries that Good Friday really by in practice was traditionally a day of penance, of sorrow, and of fasting. It wasn't a, a time uh, to, to just show off or, or, or it was a time to settle in, to actually bring some reverence and some awe to the, the story of Jesus 
the sacrifice, to identify within the person, within the self, how am I doing? Where am I at? Is there something that, right, penance, is there some confession that I need to bring? Is there something I need to do to get right? Have I taken time and really processed the reality of what Jesus' crucifixion means to me? Have I taken time to worship him? This is important to understand as we approach the rest of this service and even communion later this evening, which we believe to be holy communion. Webster's definition of the word holy means to be exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Are you perfect in goodness and righteousness? Have you figured it out? So far, we understand that Jesus is the only one who came and took on flesh, related with us, took on the human condition, was tempted as we were tempted, felt the pain as we feel the pain, experienced the human condition in a fallen world. He took it on. And yet he was perfect in his goodness and righteousness, and therefore he is exalted above us. Just so you know, I'm okay with that. I am okay with exalting my Savior above me. I am completely okay being below and submitted to him. And saying, because of what you've done for me, because of your, you were perfect in your goodness and righteousness, I now have hope. So because of that hope, I, I'm going to take a holy evening this evening. And I may even allow myself to connect so deeply with your story that I'm moved emotionally. The Hebrew definition, part of it, there's a lot of it to the word holy, but part of it is to consecrate, to set apart, to purify. How many of you know that we understand that we're basically saying if this is a holy Friday, to consecrate, to set apart, just means we are going to make this just a little different tonight. So if you're new to Artisan, this service is going to look a little different. I'm even going to communicate this message in a bit of a different way because we want to set this apart. And we want to take that space and that time to really have the moment of reflection that is, I believe is required on an evening like this. And we understand, again, Holy Friday to purify. Well, the beautiful stories and realities we understand from Scripture is that Jesus actually offers us purity through his crucifixion. He says, I can wash you white as snow. I can, I can take all the darkest parts of your life, and I can wash you white as snow. So it is a Holy Friday church. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. But good just does not do it justice. We throw around the word good for everything, right? Hey, how are you doing today? Good. You could be doing terrible, and you would say good. It's a lame word. <laughs> so tonight, we're saying Holy Friday. It's Holy Friday. So what, can we do that? What if we set aside tonight as holy, sacred, set apart, a break from the ordinary, to reflect and honor the holiness of Jesus' sacrifice. And to align our whole person with that holiness. See, the beauty of a Holy Friday is you can be made holy through that practice. He says, actually, I did this so you can be like me. You can be with me. You can be sanctified. You can be purified. You can be set apart from the sins of this world. 
I love part of what we read. Uh, we read it from the book of Matthew, but Luke put it this way in verse 23 through 26. This is going to be our core text for tonight that I want us to dwell on. How many of you know there's so many parts to this story, and, and every verse is really a sermon, but we've got uh, hopefully decades together to go over each verse every once a year, right, on Good Friday, and just really just dive into this story. But I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to this passage for us this evening. It says this, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, put the cross on him, and, Mary, and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, many believe that uh, Simon may have been of African descent. There were some Jews who had moved to that area, to that region. But we sort of see like he's passing through. Can you imagine you're just sort of passing through and all of a sudden before you know it, you're swept up in, swept up in the crucifixion of a man and, and the soldiers go help him out and just pick you out of the crowd and now all of a sudden you're carrying his cross. Just, just imagine it. I mean, we don't see this intention um, this, this narrative is written by three of the authors of the Gospels, and all three of them showcase this reality that he was there, and, and there's this pulling on him from the, the, the guards, from the soldiers, say, hey, help him. you got to carry this cross. A lot of scholars look at it, and they, they would believe part of the reason why they, they asked this man to carry the cross was Jesus was so feeble because they, they severely over-whipped him, over-abused him to the point of death, and uh, they would have gotten, the centurions, the soldiers would have gotten in so much trouble if this bloodthirsty mob, who a week earlier was celebrating Jesus' arrival, by the way, on Palm Sunday, this bloodthirsty mob, if they didn't get to watch him die, they were going to hear about it. They were going to be in trouble. So it was important that they kept Jesus alive for as long as possible. So this is sort of a desperate effort to be like, there's no way he's going to make it. But I, I really do, and if you begin to do a study of Scripture, I, I believe there's a greater picture here. We don't believe in chance, and, and the authors definitely don't believe this was a chance happening, but there's an intention behind this. Why was a man asked to help carry Jesus' cross? What do we see in this picture that we can pull from today? The beauty of Scripture is that it can be used for teaching. It can be used in life, and this verse means something to you. And we're going to do our best to maybe see what could this mean to us tonight on this Holy Friday. And here, we, we, we just see this picture of this man, and, and it draws me, carrying this cross, carrying Jesus' cross. And in my mind, maybe yours did as well if you've been reading your Bible for a while, I, I went right to the place of the quote of Jesus, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Have you heard that verse before? You heard that phrase before. Take up your cross. It comes from when Jesus was teaching to a vast crowd. Well before he was crucified. Well before he was, right, there was, there was no understanding and yet he's already talking about a cross because he knew where he was going. But the crowd would have been confused by this statement. Because in Luke chapter 14 verse 27, he says, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? If we jump all the way down to verse 33, he puts a bow on this thought. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. 
Imagine being a hearer of this. You know crosses. It's an instrument of torture. It's an instrument of death. And here you're hearing Jesus. You don't yet know that he's going to die on a cross. And he's basically saying, take up your electric chair and come follow me. And you're like, I don't get it. What does that mean? Like, right? It would be an interesting word picture for him to create at the time. And yet there's deep, profound meaning in this text. Because Jesus is saying something that we need, and he's hinging all of your ability to be a disciple of Jesus. If you're taking out a Friday night to be in church, I believe there's some part of you that wants to not just believe that Jesus existed, but actually practice what he said, live out what he encouraged us to do, and be his disciple. There's some part of you that's drawn not to just the idea of Jesus, but what would it look like if you began to align your life with his practices? What would it look like if you began to align your life as a disciple of Jesus? What would that do to you? There's some interest, or you wouldn't be here tonight, and here he's hinging it. If you don't carry your own cross and come follow me, you cannot be my disciple. If you don't give up everything you own, you cannot be my disciple. And honestly, this probably would have seemed a lot more dramatic because the disciples were yet to see Jesus give up everything for them. He hadn't done it yet. So, so it would have been kind of like, really? Like, who are you to tell me? to Like, what are you saying? Right? Like, it would have seemed dramatic. But as the story unfolds, we begin to see this reality that Jesus was willing to actually give up literally everything. And just so you know, the greater sacrifice was not what he gave up here on earth. He had proximity to the Father. And he allowed God to send him down in the form of a man. He went through puberty, okay? <laughs> like awkward phases. He took on our form. And then died, but he was separated. And we know that when he was on the cross, the thing that caused separation between him and God, why would he cry out, why have you forsaken me, God? What was it in the Garden of Gethsemane that he was crying out, sweating blood, praying for a cup to be taken from him? Was it just the death on the cross or was it something greater? Was it the reality that the punishment, the separation that you deserve because of your sin was actually put on him? unjustly took it upon himself and he drank the whole cup of suffering, separation from God that we deserve so that we might have proximity and closeness to him. But at this point of reading this, he was yet to do any of that. Disciples may have been confused, but he makes it clear. You got to give up everything if you want to be my disciple. Take up your cross. Come follow me. Famous words that are misquoted constantly, just so you know. These have been used and abused. This whole section of scripture even. Sometimes when we hear take up your cross, see, when phrases become so popular just in culture, where they can be uh, misreferenced, misused. Take, your, take up your cross has sometimes become a, a phrase that we say anytime we go through a difficulty. Oh, it's just my cross to bear. I got a terrible server at Buffalo Wild Wings tonight. It's just my cross to bear, going through something hard. Like we will associate some just ordinary life struggle and connect it to the cross of Jesus. And yet he's making it so clear in this text. If you want to talk about the cross, you have to be willing to give up everything. 
Are you positioned and postured that way? Are you willing to do it? Remember the movie, Passion of the Christ? It was entitled Passion because passion defined, we, I read this in our uh, opening sermon this year, that passion defined is that which you are willing to sacrifice for. This ultimate sacrifice. When he says take up your cross, he's talking about sacrificing everything. And this is an evening of acknowledging that sacrifice and hopefully for us to even join in on the sacrifice. Jesus proved his passion, church, for you, not just in word, but in deed, and he's asking us to do the same. And it seems clear, if you begin to see the picture of the words he shared that he publicly spoke, and then the actions that he showcased through this passion story, we begins to see clear that he's really asking us to join in on the sacrifice, to join in in the suffering, to say, would you be willing to give it all for me? Would you be willing to join me in this? The same passage written by a different author, we see Matthew in chapter 10, verse 38 through 39, put it this way from the words of Jesus. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Church, I want to be worthy. So is he painting an impossibility? It's impossible for you to be worthy. It's impossible for you to experience righteousness. It was before Jesus' sacrifice, but it's not an impossibility anymore. Your worthiness is really tied to your willingness. Will you be willing to give it all for the cause of Christ? You are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, if you cling to this stuff, if you cling to your dreams, if you cling to the things that you want, if you cling to everything that you've got, you will lose it. But if you would give up your life for me, you will find it. And the lazy reading of this text is immediately we panic and we're like, that's it. I got to sell my house. I got to sell all my cars. I got to drain my bank account. And I got to go find some people that will kill me for the cause of Christ. That's what this verse means. It's just, I, it's all or nothing. I got to do all of it. But you have to understand the taking up of your cross and following Jesus has so much to do with willingness. How are you holding your possessions? Do you have possessions or do possessions have you? Are they controlling you? Are they dictating your life? Or are they just something you have open-handed? It could come, it could go, and it could be a revolving door, and I'm okay with that. I'm holding, it's all for you, Jesus. How do you want me to use it? How do you want me to, to invest it? How do you want me to, to, to be effective for your kingdom? You see, giving up your life for Christ has a lot more to do with your posture than some sort of purge. And we could do this, be like, I gotta get rid of everything. And there are things that God will call us to purge. But often he goes, hey, no, I actually want you to take what I've given you. I'm asking, what I say, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, everything that you've got, use it for my kingdom. You put it on mission. Utilize this for impact. Do something with your talents, with your abilities. Do something with your life. Advance my cause. Advance bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Join in on this journey. Join in on the restoration of people. I preached earlier this year that every single human who accepts the cause of Christ, what we're saying yes to is the ministry of reconciliation. We are all called to reconcile the world to him and everything we have, we must be willing to use. It's a wartime mentality, right? 
So much of why America was effective in the early world wars was that, that they would use so many resources. Everybody was working together. All we have, any metal we have that could be turned to bullets, we'll donate it, we'll, we'll give it. When everybody takes their resources and goes, how do we advance this? How do we move it forward? How do we come together? Something powerful begins to take shape. So are you willing to be open-handed? Do you have a posture of generosity with your life? Because when we do that, all of a sudden, that we're, we're carrying that cross of sacrifice with Jesus, we're willing to give it. What do you want me to give, Jesus? I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll join in, I'll be a part. I will give it up. I love where it says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Church, your clinging isn't bringing anything new to you, and it's not even bringing anything good to you. It's a lack mentality. What I have is barely enough, and if I lose anything else, it's all over and it's done for me. It's not kingdom mentality. He's given us more than enough. We serve an abundant God with resources. Will you give all of yourself to that cause? Will you respond when he asks something of you and step out in faith and do it? The band can come on up as we move towards our close. Your clinging is not bringing anything new to you. Something I say all the time is that it's releasing is what leads to receiving in the kingdom. All, the, all that I have, even the things I hold the most dear, I got to hold it with an open hand. Say, God, I care so deeply about but I have an open hand. If you want it, you got it. It's yours. Time, my effort, my ability. Move by your spirit because I want to follow you. I want to take up your cross. I want to follow you. I want to be worthy of you to the best of my ability. I don't want to cling to my life. I want to give it up for you. Give it up fully. Because if you give up your life for me, he says, you will find it. On the other side of joining him in this sacrifice, so much beauty and life and goodness, light, so much to engage in. So your cross to bear can be backed by this image of Simon Cyrene carrying the cross of Jesus. It's an indication to hold nothing back, to fully join him in this sacrifice. Church, this is a Holy Friday, and it's worth noting that we also join him in the ridicule. We join him in being ostracized and marginalized. We join him in the abuse. We join him in the rejection. But in that sacrifice, we find ourselves. In the blood of Jesus, we find new life. We find relationship. We find meaning. We find purpose. We find calling. And all the mockery of the world can't even come close to the glory that is found in the person, Jesus. In his holiness, in his goodness, in his majesty. And all he's asking for is me. <laughs> Would we be a people who says, God, I just, I got open hands. I'm releasing it, giving it. 
this Holy Friday, would we be reminded of our response to this story? You'll be pretty hard-pressed to get a true revelation of the sacrifice of Jesus and not be motivated to change. I might go as far to argue that I'm not sure you see the full revelation, the full picture of the sacrifice of Jesus if you are not motivated to change, to shift, to respond. There is a response required from us that is deeply connected to this story. So your cross to bear, it's not marked by some singular struggle, one thing that's hard that you have to go through, but the fullness of what true self-sacrifice looks like. This deeply counter-cultural truth to say it's not my way. I don't even trust myself anymore. I fully trust you, God. Fully self-sacrificing my life for your kingdom. I love that after one of the most tenuous, strenuous, terrible years, Job penned these words. After everything being taken from him, so many things that we would call our cross to bear, he walked through, and yet he said this, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That is a hard prayer to believe. That is a hard truth to get your head wrapped around. That's not easy. But what is he saying? All of this pales in comparison to the glory of my inheritance. All of this pales to the glory of my Savior. All of this pales to the glory of what I now understand. And we have this story of Jesus that should make it even easier to say these words. All that this life has to offer pales in comparison to what he's going to bring. Would we not drift so far from the glory and the picture and the holiness and the reverence and the awe that we miss this moment? Naked I came and naked I will depart. All that I have is going to go away, so I might as well use it for something of value, for eternal impact.